There's a story behind the Bi-Daddy name. Um, I had picked out for my first grandson, who is uh, over in Mississippi, the name Big Daddy. <laughs> and my wife didn't like that because she's no way she wanted to be called Big Mama. <laughs> <laughs> well, grandson Trey helped us out. He couldn't say uh, Big Daddy, so he called it Bi-Daddy. I think Lily has shortened it to body. <laughs> Pretty soon I won't have a name. <laughs> I want to want to thank the uh, our Pastor Ray and, and the, the session for allowing me this privilege of sharing from God's Word today. But I want to especially thank this congregation for the nurturing that you have afforded my family. Jonathan and Mary Linda, Sarah, Anna Catherine, John Paul, and sweet Lily. She says that she is my favorite grandchild. <laughs> we have a little tradition of going to Bronze ice cream uh, after school every day. And I think that's one reason she thinks she's my favorite, but she is a favorite. <laughs> but I, do, I do, do thank you for this opportunity of sharing with you this morning. Um, would you stand please for the reading of God's word from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 10. Uh, this text is printed in your bulletin. This is the word of God. I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Though I should, if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrained from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast the more gladly in my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Thus far the word of God. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, would you speak to us now from your word? We wait upon you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Every year about the middle of December, I sit down with my checkbook and start writing out property taxes for Richland Parish. Uh, that's kind of like a county in Texas. We do things differently over there. There also are municipal taxes for which I am responsible and these checks are among the largest that I will write over the course of a year. So I don't mind telling you that it was a great comfort, is a great comfort to me to know that when I write those checks, 
there is sufficient funds in my checking account to cover the cost. Otherwise, I would find myself in serious trouble. By the end of the year, those checks have cleared and usually, or always actually, the sheriff is not at my door looking for me because there were sufficient funds and that is a comfort to me. In a similar way, it is even more comforting to know that there is enough of God's grace to meet all the needs of our lives. The Lord's bank account of grace is always flush. In our scripture this morning, Paul alluded to the thorn in the flesh. You remember the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was praying as he was facing the cross. And he asked three times that the cup be passed from him. Uh, here Paul prays three times for the thorn to be removed. Like our Savior, Paul was persistent in his request. There's not any agreement among Bible scholars or theologians with reference to what that thorn may have been. Perhaps it was some physical infirmity. Charles Hodge, the Princeton theologian, was of that opinion. Others thought maybe it's some spiritual struggle. Both Calvin and Luther uh, were of that mind. But whatever the thorn was, it was a bother to Paul. And so he asked the Lord to take it away. But it was the Lord's purpose to leave it. This was not because God was unable to remove the thorn, nor was it because he was indifferent to Paul's dilemma. God was able and God cared, but he had another way to deal with the apostles' problem, and that way was the sufficiency of his grace. It is still that same way today. There are times when troubles come to us. Some of those times, God tells us, my grace is sufficient for your needs. Now, I want to look with you this morning briefly about that promise. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace, God said. We do not want to miss this point because God's grace is the subject of our interest this morning. This is very significant. For instance, if you were having some troubles with your computer or with the internet and you came to me for help, you would be in big trouble. I'm not being modest when I say I might not even know how to turn your computer on. But we have a fellow who works with us for us at the Della Hospital who is a whiz in that area. His ability is incalculable. But more than that, God's grace is without measure. So when we place our trust in him, our trust is well placed. His grace, his favor, his loving kindness, his mercy... This is what we all need, and it is His grace that is supplied to us. Just think about His ability, His power. He can do all His holy will. God spoke the universe into existence. He said, let there be, and there was. But not only did He create the universe out of nothing, He governs and sustains that universe and all that transpires in it. And just consider what Jesus, the Son of God, did while he was here on this earth. He healed the sick and the lame. He gave sight to the blind. He fed the multitudes with just a few fish and a few pieces of bread. 
he raised the dead. He calmed the raging sea. And above all else, he provided, he secured salvation for his elect. We are saved how? By grace. And it is his grace that is sufficient for us. God is, is able to provide grace for us. He is a powerful God. The one to whom we look is one who is all-powerful uh, in his being. He can do his will. Think also of his wisdom. He knows everything from the beginning to the end. Absolutely nothing is hidden from him. God knows. God knows. My wife used to play a game on her little uh, uh, tablet called Wordscapes. It may be that you are familiar with, with that or have played it. It's um, a game in which a bunch of letters are put together or not put together, they're scrambled. You've got to put them together to form words and fill out a, a crossword puzzle sort of thing. For some reason, I have a, a knack for that kind of game. And so sometimes when she would get stumped, uh, she would call on me for help. And uh, a lot of times uh, I was able to help her. But you know something? She never said to me, Paul, uh, I'd like for us to have a picnic on July the 4th. Is it going to rain? Nor did she say, why don't we go to Dallas for Christmas with our grandchildren? Uh, will there be icy roads? Will it be stormy weather? She didn't ask me that because that's way beyond my capacity. That's out of the range of my knowledge. It is not that way with God. He knows everything that's going to happen in your life, including what is best for you to handle those happenings. If I suspect in advance that it's going to rain, I'll take an umbrella. Knowing in advance helps us plan more wisely. Well, God knows everything in advance. You can lean on a God so wise and so powerful. God is able and God knows. And put together with that the fact that God loves you. His love is great and immeasurable. He gave his only son to die for our sins. I don't love you that much. I think if you were in a burning building and you were trapped there, that I would try to go through the flames to uh, rescue you. But do you know something? I would not send my grandchildren into the flames. I would not send my children into the flames because I don't have that capacity of love. But God the Father does. He not only risked the life of his son by sending him into the flames, he purposed his son's death for the salvation of his people. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Paul says of that love that nothing, not even death itself, can separate us from this love of God. God is able, God knows, and God loves. His grace is powerful, wise, and loving. My grace, he says, is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient. 
when we are writing a letter or maybe a, some other document, and we want to emphasize a word, we'll often use all capital letters or we'll underline or maybe italicize that word. We're saying to the, the reader, don't miss this. Focus on this. This is what I want you to get. The Greeks, in order to emphasize, would either put the word at the beginning or at the end of a phrase or of a sentence. In this case, the verb is at the very beginning. Sufficient is my grace. It is also in the present tense. And the present tense in that language suggests a habitual or continuous action. God's grace is continuously sufficient. Well, how are we to understand what that sufficiency entails? What does it mean? Uh, the word is used a number of times in the New Testament. Let me share a couple of those with you. In John 6, Jesus is pictured as preaching on the, at the, on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, a great throng had assembled there, and he preached longer than, than your preacher this morning will, and the day went on. And he said to his disciples at one interval, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? His disciples were astonished. And Philip said, in effect, Lord, Lord, eight months wages would not be enough to feed all these people. We don't have that kind of resource was in his mind. We don't have enough money. We don't have sufficient funds for this. On another occasion, Jesus was talking to his disciples shortly before his death. And he said to them, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said, Lord, we, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And he went on to say, I'm going to show you the Father. I'm showing you the Father. And Philip said, Lord, to show him to us, and that will satisfy us. Let us see God, and we'll be satisfied. And Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. The Father and I are one. If you've seen me, let that be your satisfaction. Be satisfied with seeing the Father uh, through me. His grace is enough. His grace will satisfy. We have a small farm just south of Delhi where we grow trees and we invite the deer to share the habitation with us. Um, in order to take care of that farm, we have a tractor uh, and uh, an ATV, both of which operate uh, on diesel fuel. Jonathan comes in uh, regularly to work on the, on the farm. Uh, he has told me, Dad, um, you can't drive the tractor. I'm afraid you'll get hurt. He's afraid I'll hurt the tractor. <laughs> My responsibility then is not to drive the tractor, 
but to have fuel ready for him when he comes in. And, and to be sure that there's a sufficiency, I've got a number of cans. I go down to the bulk plant and fill it up with diesel before he gets into town. And there's more diesel there than he could possibly use all the time he's in Delhi. There is enough for his needs. Well, God's grace is enough for us. It's enough for whatever may come our way. His grace is all we need, and it's enough to get us through. Sometimes God will remove the thorn, and other times he will give his grace to cope with the thorn. But in either case, it is God's grace that is our sufficient supply. My grace is sufficient. The grace of the sovereign God, powerful, wise, and loving, is enough for us, whatever the thorn may be. My grace is sufficient for you. God's grace is for you. It's not just for preachers and missionaries and Sunday school teachers and elders and even the President of the United States. God does give his grace to those folks, but you are important to him too. And that is important. That is significant. That's good news. Well, just how important are you in his sight? What value do you have in the heart of God? What would cause you to think that God's going to give his grace to you? Why ought you to trust him? The table is here to answer the question for us. The answer to what, how much does he love us? The answer is to is his, his grace for me is here for you and me to see. Paul said it another way in another place. He said, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously, freely give us all things? Paul argues here from the, the greater to the lesser. If God will give his son to die and suffer hell for you, will he not give you the daily things that you need? Suppose you are in dire need for $50,000. And if you don't get that money, it's curtains for you. You need it terribly. Without it, there's no hope. And suppose you have a very wealthy friend and he comes to you and he says, look, here's, here's $50,000. No interest. You don't have to pay interest. Sweeten it a little bit. He brings you the $50,000 and he says, this is a gift. You don't have to pay it back. I'm giving you this, $50,000. Do you think that same friend, if he saw you hungry, would be willing to give you five bucks for a hamburger and a Coke? If he would give you $50,000, will he not take care of this other need that you have? God gave his son, and the scripture suggests that because he's done that, uh, he will give us whatever else we may need. He will not withhold his daily grace for us, he who has given Jesus for us.
Because we, you, you matter to him. My grace is sufficient for you, he promises. In another place, Paul was writing to the Philippians, a favorite church of his. He loved those people. And he had thanked them for what they had given him. And then he said this, My God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. You have helped me in the ministry, but know this, my God is going to meet your needs according to the riches of Christ. Not just barely enough, not just a tad, but my God's grace is going to be in abundance. You see, all that Jesus Christ gained through his perfectly obedient life, his sinless life, sacrificed on the cross, uh, raised from the dead, ascended into the glorious power of God at his right hand, this one will supply our needs with that kind of abundance. All of that he did for us. All of that he gained for us. And he's giving that grace to you and to me for the thorns in our lives. Paul said, Father, remove this thorn. He prayed it three times that that take place. And God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in weakness. What was Paul's reaction? Did he say, Lord, look what I'm doing for you. Please get this out of the way. It's hindering me. No, that was not his response. He, what did he say? I'd like to uh, read that for you in the Amplified Version. The Amplified Bible is an expansion of the Greek and the Hebrew. It's kind of stilted when you try to read it, but it, it expands so that we get a better flavor of what the original means. Uh, in the 12th verse, the second part, Paul says this, Therefore, I will all the more gladly glory in my weaknesses and infirmities that the strength and power of Christ the Messiah may rest, yes, may pitch a tent over and dwell upon me. Take away the thorn. No, my grace is sufficient because when, when, when you're weak, I'm going to be your strength. Paul responded uh, with faith in Christ. What is our response to that promise? How do we respond when God says to us in a time of crisis, my grace is enough for you. Whenever we're faced with an insurmountable problem and God says, my grace is sufficient for you, what response do we make? Which leads me to this question. What will the response of Jesus be to the way I respond to his promise? What will he say to me when I'm in a, in a difficult situation and we've been through some of those? How will he see my response and what will he say? Will he say like he did on occasion, O ye of little faith? <clears throat> or perhaps will he say as he did on different occasions, your faith has made you whole. What response will we make to him and how will he respond to that? May God give us grace to embrace his promise and may each one of us live our lives 
by His grace and for His glory. Would you pray with me? <clears throat> Almighty God, we thank you that though we live in a world that's fallen, and though there are thorns of plenty in each of our lives, we have a God whose grace is sufficient for whatever the needs may be. We thank you that you've met the big need of our lives in providing your son to go through the fire to rescue us from hell and from the penalty of our sin. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for taking our punishment upon yourself. Thank you that your blood was spilled and your body broken that we might live eternally with you. And so give us, we pray, Lord, grace to embrace your promise of grace to us. Uh, give us faith to trust you even in the darkest of hours. And we pray the result will be that not only will we see our way through that thorn, but that honor will be given your name and praise will be brought to you and others seeing our faith might learn to trust you as well. We thank you that your grace is sufficient and we trust that grace this morning, Lord, because of what you've done for us through your Son. Help us then to live for you by your grace and for your glory. For Jesus' sake, amen.